pitch is hit way out to left, headed back, and gone! Taylor Clark with the first home run for Team 24, and Alabama leads 5-0 here in the top of the third as Taylor Clark has a day one for a season that players can only dream of. What a shot from Taylor Clark. First pitch. And Dorr hammers this one to deep right field. That's way back. Way gone. Abby Dorr. Her first hit as a member of the Crimson Tide is a two-run homer. And Alabama has a 3-1 lead here in Clearwater. Go to Hemphill. This one is hit way out towards left. It's not even April, but here we are. This is what uh, the world is right now, and we are doing our best to socially distance ourselves. I'm Greg Robertson, alongside my partner, Tom Canterbury, who's on the phone. I am in Birmingham. Tom is in Tuscaloosa. Tom, have you been keeping people outside of a six-foot radius from you since I last saw you? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Other than, other than my family here, I literally have not seen anybody since uh, last Monday. I've been in the house. Oh, my so, God. So, uh, yeah. Uh, other than I went for, I've uh, gone for a couple of walks. I've mowed the yard, which is, my my yard is going to look immaculate by the time this is over. Um, and that's that's been it. I've been working from home. So I, I am doing the extreme of social distancing, uh, even to the point of here in this podcast, we are about 45 to 50 miles away from each other. Yes, I think we have accomplished our goal. 
So we're, we're good to go. It's a packed show here for the season two finale. We're going to start at the plate, talk about 2020, Alabama and the whole season. We're going to talk about what 2021 could look like. Then we will advance to first, talk to Jen Schroeder, one of our favorites, ESPN analyst and former UCLA catcher. And I kind of feel for Jen because in a season that was as wacky as ever, the one certainty seemed to be that UCLA was really, really good. And that chance kind of went away. Yeah, they actually, they looked like they had a very uh, special club that was a little bit immune to what was going on to most of the other really good teams in the nation of, you know, losing surprise games. For the most part, they avoided those upsets. So, uh, yeah, it really is too bad for the Bruins. Yeah. Then we'll steal second and talk with Patrick Murphy. Then we'll round third, talk to Brian Rice. Our uh, pal, who is the play-by-play, and I guess also color, because he does it alone, for the uh, Tennessee Lady Vol softball. We were going to do a show with him last weekend, or this past weekend, rather, in Knoxville, but, you know, we're not playing softball. So, unfortunately, that didn't happen. And then we will head home and go over the final results of SEC picks on name team and give some final thoughts. First time, let's wrap up the 2020 Alabama softball campaign. And... You know, I'm going to emphasize the word pain there because I hate that Alabama, I guess, finishes 14-8. and eight, But what's super disappointing is, yeah, you know, the first couple weeks didn't go the way we drew it up. I remember on the intro podcast, I said I expected two losses total the first two weekends. Anything more than three would be a concern. Alabama was four and five after we left Clearwater. And yet things felt like they were turning, right? I mean, those last two Arkansas games – you could see Alabama becoming the team we thought they would be and really just getting started. Yeah, when, I mean, you look at what – I think one of the main points about that start for the Alabama team is that you didn't have Montana Faust going at 100%. After the USA trials, she had completely shut it down. She did not pick up a softball until, until the spring – practice season started she did not do any fall ball with Alabama so her uh, normal off-season regimen was not followed not what she normally does so she was kind of using the season to round herself into shape to where Alabama would be I think hopefully relying on her to pitch them to the Women's College World Series so she was going to be at 100% when she got into April and May and then she also had uh, the illness the week before the Arkansas series. So because of that, you could kind of start seeing her get back into what she normally was in that weekend against Arkansas. She and Autumn Storms had an absolute All-American pitchers duel on Friday <laughs> that Arkansas won, won nothing. But then Alabama came back on Saturday and Sunday against the Razorbacks and got two run rule victories, including taking on Autumn Storms again on Sunday and making tremendous adjustments. So, yeah, that's one of the most... You know, the, the crushing thing about this whole situation was that despite the early season difficulties that Alabama had had, you could you could see you could see it coming. You could see the, the turn, the tide being able to turn, and uh, that's where things got cut off, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think we have to remember and fans have to remember that the team that we previewed at the end of last year, the team that we previewed in the fall that we talked about when we did the Moments podcast that we talked about in the season premiere of season two, that Alabama team was never present because there were injuries to Claire Jenkins that started off as early as 
uh, Alabama Texas A and M weekend during the football season, and then just something else every single weekend. It seemed like nobody was really one hundred percent. And because of that, you never really got the full Alabama you were expecting this year. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, the lineup was going to be as close to 100% as it was going to be able to get once Alyssa Brown came back and she was targeted to maybe this weekend or probably next weekend at the latest to come back from the hand injury that she suffered uh, right before the season started. And we forget that she had a broken hand on that weekend in Florida, in Tallahassee against Florida State, North Carolina, and led the team in hitting, <laughs> even with a broken hand. So when if she was going to be able to come back, and I think with the way everybody else was playing at the top of the order, she's probably going to get inserted at the nine hole, breaks up that three straight freshmen at the bottom of the order that Alabama was having to throw out there uh, that were having their issues at times. Uh, you could have really seen an offense for Alabama that was going to be very potent up and down the lineup. To go along with the pitching staff, you were getting a lot more from Lexi Kilfoyle than maybe you were thinking, uh, whereas it could have been a co-ace situation with her and Montana Fouts there. It, it really looked like Alabama had it, had it about as well as they were going to be able to get it uh, without Claire Jenkins, obviously, after the year. Um, so th- there were so many different things going on. Alabama went from a very old veteran deep team to a rather young thin team quickly because of the injuries right uh but but they were they were starting to come back together yeah you're exactly right and you know because there were struggles you know we didn't get necessarily the great walk-offs that we saw sometimes last year against some of the power teams but there were a lot of good memories and moments from 2020 so before we dive into our top five moments of the year let's dig into our team mvp because there are no awards to give out unfortunately this year tom so i'll give you first pick who is your alabama team 24 and a half mvp well i'm going to go with uh, kb sides uh because she had really rounded into i think was putting together an all-american campaign um she starting to really realize the potential that she's had since she stepped foot on campus. Um, no matter where she was put in the lineup, and that was one thing Patrick Murphy all year long was having to put out different lineups trying to optimize uh, the weapons that he had at the time. Wherever he, she put KB side, KB was able to produce. She was either knocking in runs or getting on base to get knocked in. Uh, I think that she was going to be very key for this offense moving forward, and I'm going to put her as the MVP of the season. I like that choice. How about a, a 483 average? That seems good. Quite, quite, quite good. Yes. That, not, not great at math, but I, yeah, we'll I think that's that. good. Um, okay, I, I toyed around with a couple of options. I toyed around with Maddie Morgan, who continues to get better. I toyed around with Lexi Kilfoyle, who was valiant in her many efforts, especially with Montana starting off the season the way she did. There was a lot of pressure on Lexi, and I think she bounced back really well. But – I'm going to go with Skylar Wallace because this girl just, like, does not stop. She is a bulldog. She will fight. She does not care. She just hits walk-offs to win run-rule games like it's easy. She can hit anywhere. I was really excited to see what the lineup looked like with her at the one and Alexis Mack at the two. We got a taste of it against Arkansas. I bet we would have seen that for the majority of the year. And unfortunately, we won't get to. But Skylar Wallace, again, has just shown that growth that convinces me 100,000% that she will be on the wall at some point 
once her playing days are over because she's just so good and she can do it all in a variety of ways. Yeah, 100%. And I also think that what she was able to do defensively for Alabama, the fact that when Claire went down, she had to move from second to shortstop, which um, depending on what school of thought you are, shortstop's the most important uh, infield position. And she did really well defensively there mm-hmm. with a lot of young players on that on, in the infield dirt. So uh, I thought it was a really good job by her all the way around. All right, let's get to our top five moments of 2020. Tom, what's your number five? Uh, my number five, I think I'm going to go with the uh, Jenna Johnson over the uh, temporary fencing catch in center field against USF in Clearwater for a n- number of reasons. One, it was spectacular. And then two, when you think about it, if she doesn't make that catch, that's a three-run homer in the first inning for USF, and that game could have gone a whole different way. Yeah. And that and and that could have made things a lot different uh, for Alabama moving forward. That's a great point. That's a great point. I've got that later on. I'll tease that. <laughs> My number five. I'm going to get sappy on you, Tom. Sorry. Um, not the first time. <laughs> uh, my number five was getting to see so many of the friends that we've made over the years. You know, we did the podcast with Bro in Clearwater. We saw Morgan Lashley at Rhodes. Thank goodness we got to play that tournament. I don't know what it would have done if we hadn't gotten to see Morgan in Wichita State. And we finally got to meet Jen in Clearwater, who we're going to talk to later on in the show. She's spectacular. I mean, it was just great to get to spend time with you know, the media we've become friends with and the coaching staff once again, even in a shortened season and the rest of our support staff squad. I love that. So that's my number five. Very good. That, that's one thing too, you know, the way that the season went, just the different uh, trips that we went on and the condensed schedule, we weren't really able to do a lot of the normal Bama U-ish type things, but overall it was still a, a lot of fun uh, all, all year long. Yeah. All right. You're number four, Tom. My number four, I'm going to go with uh, Lexi Kilfoyle's uh, performance against Washington, including her triple and then the uh, complete game shutout victory against the Huskies. Uh, Just a great job by her and and her homecoming trip. She got to do that. We got to go to the Kilfoyles uh, that weekend as well in Clearwater from Land Lakes, just down the road. And uh, I thought it was a great performance, but who would have thought Lexi Kilfoyle's only hit of the season was going to be an RBI triple against Washington that just landed that hit the uh, the foul line, state foul, there's a triple. I think it should be noted, what was the final score of that Washington game? That, that score was 8 nothing in five innings. Okay, noted. I think we're uh, I think we're going to be talking about that later on in these rankings. I, I, I might bring it up again. <laughs> My number four is Skylar Wallace's walk-off versus Louisville. After she, you know, fouled off a bunch of balls into her ankles and feet, and I can't believe she was even able to stand, she said, you know what, I'm done, screw it, I'm, I'm tired, let's end it, let's go home. And she just nailed a three-run homer, and it, it was like as casual a thing as ever, and that was it. I mean, Skylar Wallace had three different games where she walked off in run-rule fashion the opposition, and... Again, that one just really sticks out of my mind because of how that entire at-bat went. Yeah. Um, that, and that was going to be my number three. I thought, you know, just a, a great job by her to to battle back. You know, she was hurting and say, oh, we're just going to end it right here. And uh, do that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, it was fantastic. All right. My number three, actually, was the Jenna Johnson catch versus USF. So... 
Yeah, there we go. Knocking that one out. I love that. I love our reaction. I love the video captured in the outfield that if the FCC did not exist or whatever <laughs> guidelines we have to abide by, I would play right now. But it's just a great moment. And, you know, she. I think we didn't really spend enough time talking about Jenna Johnson this year on the podcast and also on the air because what she was able to do at the plate, but especially in the field with Alyssa Brown out, she didn't have to be an All-American. We weren't expecting her to put up Alyssa Brown-like numbers, but she was serviceable at the plate, and she was darn good in the field, and that's what Alabama needed. Yeah, and then hopefully this time off she'll be able to get completely healed to where she can do it. Because she did all that she did this season, not being able to swing a full bat. <laughs> right. So hopefully you know, she'll be able to swing all the way through uh, when things get going again in 2021. All right, you're number two, Tom. My number two is going to be uh, the back-to-back walk-off you know, game enders by Carla Heiss. As uh, you know, again, that against Arkansas, the final two games of the year it ended up being. But uh, one thing, Alabama's been on a uh, on a desperate search for the past few years to find a, a scary bat off the bench, and Carla Heiss is looking like she was going to be that for Alabama this year. Yeah, I, I like that. I like the uh, Heist Queen. That would have been my call if it had ever come around again. I had that uh, ready, but it's fine. We'll save it. Or about, or about uh, Heist in the Veins. Oh, I like that too. Heist, Heist, yeah. baby. Boom. Uh, <laughs> cold so as many ice. Different ways we can go. <laughs> yes. Okay, my number two is Alexis Max triple versus Arkansas because it was just awesome. I mean, you could feel it coming when she started hitting away. That was a great moment, and that's my number two. Should we my, give my number, number one, one at the same time? <laughs> yeah, I think I think we both are on the same page. Number one is the the walk off wild pitch against Washington as Alabama beat the number one team in the nation eight nothing in five innings over Washington. The Huskies they were number one, and Alabama won in five innings eight nothing. Yes, perfect. That was fun. Top five moments of the year. Let's talk about the 2020 softball season. I mean, so much happened. I kept the upset stat. I was tracking, you know, the craziness that was going on in this sport. I felt like it really got off the ground when Long Beach State beat Oklahoma, came back in that game, and walked off the Sooners 5-4. And then we saw A&M beat Arizona, UCF run ruling Tennessee twice. Iowa State gave Michigan their first loss of the year, Duke over. I mean, there was so much stuff that happened, and I'm sad we're not going to see what probably would have been the craziest NCAA tournament of all time. But what are your favorite memories from the craziest one-month season of softball we've ever seen? Yeah, that was, that was what I was thinking was you take a look at the number of games where you know, we talked about it all year long, no one was safe, and games where normally you know, had, Oklahoma had a three-run lead against Long Beach State in the fourth or fifth inning. You just stop watching that game. You don't you don't worry about tracking anymore. So Oklahoma's got that one one, and then you turn back around and Long Beach State comes back to win. So it wasn't necessarily that teams were getting upset; it's the matter in which they were getting upset by teams. And I think it really was setting up to where there was going to be some upsets. There was going to be some Cinderellas going through in the postseason and uh that, that's that's probably the biggest regret of this entire season is that you're not going to be able to see one of those teams make the run that you weren't expecting all right let's get into the segment i was really excited to do two questions that we wish we knew the answers to tom i'll let you go first what what's your first question about the 2020 softball season you really wish we knew the answer to uh well i would say 
was Montana Faust going to be able to round into her normal Montana Faust self by April and May and really be the reason why Alabama was going to make a run in the postseason like she was last year. Um, like we talked about earlier on in the segment, I, I could see it starting to happen, but I, I really wanted to see uh, how that was going to go. And to have an opportunity to have Montana Faust take on somebody maybe like Megan Framo at UCLA having pitched half as many innings at that point in the season yeah. when they when they would have faced off in May or June, I think would have been awesome to see. Yeah, I agree. I think the answer would have been yes, but you're right. We'll never know, which is a shame. But, hey, hopefully next year. My first one, was Missouri actually going to threaten to win the SEC? So they sweep Ole Miss. They're a pitch-by-committee team. Larissa has flipped multiple birds at the NCAA publicly on Twitter and in interviews saying, hey, I don't care. We're going to play. Every day is like the World Series for this team. And, you know, maybe they weren't the most talented team in the league, but there is a world where Missouri is right there at the end with a chance to win the conference this year. And I wonder how realistic that actually was. And especially the fact that uh, Alabama's last series of the year was going to be at Missouri, which uh, <laughs> wasn't really looking forward to, but one of the way things were going uh, as far as that was. But uh, hopefully, and the other thing about Missouri is that you certainly hope that justice will be served and that this will still count as their year where they are uh, banned from postseason and, and all that. It is no longer a factor next year. Yeah, absolutely. They didn't deserve it to begin with. They don't deserve right. it now. Tom, what's your number two? What's your second question you wish you knew the answer to? Well, I think it's one that I still think we, we will find out somewhat of an answer to, but it's going to be, does everyone get a free pass as far as uh, coaching goes for this year, moving on to next year? Are, are hot seats cooled off? Uh, because of the way this season went. Uh, will there still be some changes in the offseason? Uh, I, I predicted there was going to be uh, a lot of turnover in the SEC, maybe like we haven't seen in the past in the coaching ranks. Uh, will that still be a case? I think, you know, you bring that up. I think we won't see a lot of changes at places that are well-established, like in Auburn, like at Texas A&M, but... Ole Miss and Ruben Felix is interesting to me. Does the Ole Miss Athletic Department view this as a reprieve and a chance to give Coach Felix and some and a bigger offseason, really, to bond with his team and recruit his players? Or did they take a look at what was already done in 2020 and say, you know what, we were only going to keep him around for a year anyway. Let's go look for somebody else. I think that's the biggest question in terms of coaching. And then somebody like... You mentioned Texas A&M. If Joe Evans was considering again, we don't we don't know, but kind of the, the general thought was that maybe she was going to look to retire at the end of the year. Do you retire after a season ends like this, or do you say, well, "I'm going to come back for one more"? Um, you know, with, with the way this thing ended, yeah. I think there's still still a lot of questions there. Yeah. All right. My second question: I wish we knew the answer to was someone other than Oklahoma going to win the Big Twelve. I think the answer would have been yes. I really do, but we'll never know, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I, this was certainly trending to this being the year that a Texas or an Oklahoma State were to uh, to win the Big 12. But, well, well, we won't know, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately not. All right, before we 
advance to first and put it in play. We're not going to talk a lot about Alabama 2021 and what the seniors are going to do and what the eligibility looks like because when we talk to Patrick Murphy later on, we'll have him tell you what's going on, and you you want to hear it from him instead of us. However, if the NCAA does make this vote on eligibility that we all think will happen and give everybody in the spring sports another year, Tom, that means this is a pretty stacked team for Alabama in 2021. Yeah, uh, Alabama's going to be in this position, like a lot of teams, I think, to have really monster uh, squads next year because, I mean, you look at it, uh, there, there's a possibility of Alabama having a six-person pitching staff uh, headed up by Montana Faust and Lexi Kilfoyle. Um, you hope you would have a healthy Claire Jenkins back, um, you know, a couple of Baileys in the lineup. Uh, it's going to be a absolutely stacked lineup. It's going to be a, a, you know, a, hard, a hard task to try to find what lineup you're going to go with because there's going to be so many different options for every team out there. Plus, we don't know what's going to be the situation with grad transfers. Uh, I think the transfer portal is going to be as active as it's ever been mm-hmm. with this extra year of eligibility. Uh, it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Yeah, I mean, who knows? I I wouldn't be shocked, and I hope they don't. But I wouldn't be shocked if we saw some Alabama players leave, just because there's going to be so much competition at every position. I mean, yeah. who knows? where Savannah Woodard, you know, I'll just throw her out there. You've got Claire Jenkins potentially coming back. You've got Bailey Dowling, who I believe played short in high school, right? So, you know, you throw Woodard, Wallace, Jenkins, and Dowling for short and second. (laughs) And then somebody has to be DP, but where do you put Kaylee Tao? I mean, there's going to be so much craziness that – I wouldn't be surprised if maybe somebody said, you know what, I'm going to go test my luck somewhere else, but – I mean, maybe you shouldn't do that because every program is going to be dealing with that same dilemma. Yeah, I, I think hopefully there'll be a lot of people that might be in that situation that'll look around and say, you know, it's not like there are huge opportunities everywhere. This is a, a crazy situation. Just ride it out for a year, be a good teammate, and then move forward uh, for the next season. Yeah. All right, before we put it in play and advance to first, Tom, I, I neglected to mention that we have our own clothing line. Oh, my gosh. Yes. So out of the boxers out there, please go and get a farcical T-shirt that has the dictionary definition and the out-of-the-box definition of the word farcical. Look on our Twitter at out-of-the-box underscore pod or check ours at gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson or at T Canterbury R-T-R. Tom, I will get you yours very soon. Okay, don't worry. Yes. Yeah, I have been socially distanced from my own farcical T-shirt. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's put it in play. Who are we? I I think we could be either one of our MVPs, either KB Sides or Skylar Wallace. All right, let's be KB because she hit 483, and I mean that's just ridiculous. Yes, it is 100. Can we give her SEC Player of the Year even though she only played three games? I, I would. Okay. Uh, the, <laughs> unfortunately, it's not up to me, but that's what I. That was my. That'd be my choice. All right, I'll talk to some people, see what we can do. We've uh, okay, we put it to play. We're advancing to first, and we get back. Jen Schroeder will be here as we close things out here for season two on Out of the Box. Welcome back to the Out of the Box. 
Canucks podcast. We're advancing to first here on the season two finale. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury not in the studio. Gray is in Birmingham. Tom is in Tuscaloosa. And joining us on the phone from, I guess, California, where she is basically running a softball empire, Jen Schroeder joining us, ESPN analyst, one of the hosts of the Seven Innings podcast, and, of course, a member of the Bruin Bubble, former UCLA catcher. Jen, how are you? you? You've been very busy since quarantine happened. Yes, I know. The package deal launched a softball school, and so we've been absolutely slammed uh, during the quarantine. But it's been crazy because we've been on lockdown a little longer than most people. Are you guys even on lockdown yet? I mean, we've been on lockdown for a week now where so it's interesting here because you really can't go anywhere but that's We're not on lockdown yet here in Alabama, but I think that's coming. We've got a, I guess, stay-at-home order in Birmingham, and I think that's coming to Tuscaloosa soon. But it's been crazy how quickly all of this has gone down, and you and I were texting a bit the night of the announcement from the NCAA that the Women's College World Series was canceled, which was really just devastating for a lot of us involved in the sport. So I'm curious what your immediate reaction was to the cancellation of the season and how quickly it all just kind of disappeared. Well, you know, funny enough, we had an 8 a.m. California time uh, conference call with a group of the ESPN analysts and and people who were in Bristol um, at ESPN headquarters, and they were trying to, you know, give us kind of marching orders and points because a lot of a lot of the analysts were traveling the next day for series. So at 8 a.m. Pacific time, we got off that call with the intention that everyone was traveling the next day, everyone was going to do their normal games, everything was on, everything was normal, and within a matter of 15 minutes after that call, things started to change drastically, quickly, dramatically, and I think from an emotional standpoint, I became very invested because I had I had two girls who I'm really close with, Sis Bates and Alyssa Palomino Cordoza, who were privately texting me asking me, do you know anything? What does this mean? What does this mean for me? You know, this is a fourth-year senior, Alyssa, fifth-year senior, two prominent players in NCAA softball, and I could just feel their emotion and their helplessness. And I, I felt like for the first time in my life, I didn't know how to advise them, and I didn't know how to mentor them. And so for me, my thoughts and feelings immediately went to all the people who were suffering with information that they truly didn't know how to digest and they didn't know what it meant for them. And I felt extremely helpless because I couldn't help anybody and I couldn't advise or even talk on anything because nobody knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it, kind was, of, oh, it was emotional. Yeah. yeah, the situation that no one's ever been in before. It's just, it is a, we're all treading in, in new waters and uh, one of the, hopefully the relief that's going to come as far as the NCAA goes as, um, they're going to vote D1, D2, and D3 have already done it, and D1 will likely do it to give at least the seniors an extra year, if not everybody, an extra year. Uh, how do you think that's going to work? Well, I think it's going to be very difficult if you say just seniors are allowed an extra year. I don't feel like that's fair at all. And, and now, look, my mom growing up used to tell me, Jennifer, life's not fair, and so I get that. However, I just don't think it's justifiable to give only seniors one year and to cut everyone else's years short. I've heard a lot of 
I've heard a lot of different speculation over the last day. None of it is firm, but I think some people might be surprised with some of the stuff that I've heard is coming out. I can't speak to it because I don't know if there's truth in it, and a lot of it is just hearsay. Uh, But I really wonder, financially, what does this mean for programs? Because obviously what Alabama or Florida or Georgia, you know, these SEC teams with a lot of money backing could afford is going to be very different than, say, a UAB up the road. How are you going to feed 20 to 30 miles on the road? How are you going to outfit them so that your team matches? How are you going to pay for their housing There's so many questions, and we haven't even gotten into the scholarship numbers. For how many years is the NCAA going to say softball can have more than 12 scholarships? So this really isn't just one year that it affects or two years. It doesn't just affect 2020 and 2021, but it affects years to come because it even – it even will affect girls who have verbally committed or signed letters of intent to college. So I think – it's such an unprecedented time, but it's such an Im- unpredictable future, which uh, we've never been here. I, there, I just I don't know what to expect. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about it is you throw in something like the transfer portal that has been active, so active in this sport the last couple of years, and you wonder what the impact will be there because I've already seen a report today as we're recording that Molly Jacobson is transferring from Ole Miss and has put herself in the transfer portal. I'm sure there will be other players that follow. There were some players like Horton at Ole Miss who had already announced before the year started she was going to look for uh, some other place to play. So what is the impact in that regard with the transfers, and do you think we'll see – massive movement or much movement at all in the transfer portal this year there is going to be massive movement within the transfer portal and i already know you know some i train catchers here in southern california and i already know some of them who were seniors they're they're you know mid-major schools uh their coaches have already told all the seniors you know although the ncaa says that you guys can, can come back we don't have the money for you so if you want to play you need to put yourself in the transfer portal Thank you for your time here. Thank you for four and a half years. And these are four-year starters. These are like, you hit three or fourth in the lineup, and and she just can't justify essentially her promises, because she's made promises to the younger generation, to incoming freshmen. She can't justify the money spent. So the coach and multiple coaches are saying, you know, although the NCAA is saying you can come back, you're going to need to put yourself in the transfer portal if you want to play your your last year. So beyond just personal decisions, I know there are programs who are making decisions for girls already. Mm. Do you think there's a possibility of maybe the NCAA giving some sort of financial uh, stipend or relief or something to some of these programs, the, the smaller programs? Yeah, I mean, I would... I can see it both ways. As a as a business owner, right now during this time, it's it's tough to figure out where that money comes from. You know, of course, the goodness of your heart says you want to, and we can all look at the NCAA and say you should do that. That sh- that should be your right move. But the NCAA has been hit tremendously. Like we have to remember that there's a stat that March Madness and essentially the NCAA basketball tournament pays for softball. Right? Like, softball isn't making money for the NCAA. Although everyone will look at how our ratings improve and the popularity of our sport has grown, we we do not make money for the NCAA. 
So when the NCAA has already lost so much money, where does the money come from? And I think you're seeing that all across the board with government funding and stimulus packages and blah, 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 right? Beyond softball. Yeah. But it's, it's the same thing that's happening within our sport. So would I love for the NCAA to do that? Yes. Do I expect them to do that? I don't. Talking with Jen Schroeder here on the season two finale of Out of the Box. Jen, looking back at 2020, you know, there are a lot of storylines. We were following Bailey Hemphill's race to try and become the Alabama career home run leader. I know you and the rest of the Seven Innings podcast crew were monitoring Jesse Harper and her race to become the all-time home run queen and certainly the all-time wins leader race between Coach Hutchins at Michigan and Coach Kendra at Arizona. So I, I guess the question is, does this past year count? And does it does it matter in terms of some of these record chases? Should some of the home runs Jesse Harper hit in 2020 carry over to 2020? even though it was about a third of a year okay so did you guys hear the ncaa is keeping that really it's official yes. wow i did not see that yes so okay there's two things do i agree with it maybe not but is it happening yes so i can speak to jesse harper's numbers directly jesse harper already already as it stands has had 53 more career at bats than lauren chamberlain already and she'll still have a complete extra year to essentially chase her record, and she already has 53 more at-bats. The the Hutch versus Candrea battle is really interesting to me because, I mean, it's not a player stat, but there is a sense of pride, and, of course, those are two just illustrious, incredible coaches within our softball space. But as it stands right now, Candrea is leading Hutch, and that's going to stand. And so I'm assuming if the NCAA is saying that for their website, for their, you know, purposes, just statistics, purposes these stats will stay then I'm assuming Alabama would follow suit with Bailey's chase to become the Alabama home run leader I, I, I don't really know how that would go if Alabama would say these stats don't stand when the NCAA says they stand I'm, I'm unsure I'm unsure the you know the protocol there I don't really know I would, I would think that if if the NCAA is recognizing it then each individual school would recognize it I don't I don't see Why not? Not, you know, right. yeah so but uh with some of the other things that happened in the 2020 season, what are some of the you know questions or what were you really looking forward to seeing that unfortunately we're not going to be able to see? Well, there was so much. I mean, it was the best February in the history of college softball. Truly, the best February that I think any of us can remember happened in college softball. And now you look back and you think the sport just played jokes on you, right? Because they yeah. gave you, I mean, it <laughs> had so much happen in February. And so what I was really looking forward to was just seeing how it all played out because all of us were, were trying to predict who's going to win the SEC, who's going to win the pack, who's going to, who are going to, the final eight teams going to be. And we don't even get the chance to see the greatest February of all time play out into postseason mm-hmm. and to see who would have been there at the end. I think that for the first time in a really long time, you could have pulled 10 people and those 10 people would have had eight different teams finishing in OKC at the end of May, early June. So I'm just so sad because each week I would vote on rankings committees and, and try and guess who, you know, the top 25 teams were not guess, use, you know, an educational guess and look at scores and, and we don't get to see it play out. So beyond individual matchups, I'm just sad that we don't get to see the best season that never was finish. 
Yeah, and based on what you're saying about some of the mid-majors, then we might not have that chance in 2021 to see those revamped uh, group of five schools upset as many Power Five teams as they did this year. You know, you look at Long Beach and Fresno State and teams like that, they're probably going to be fine, but Loyola Marymount, who knows what they're going to do, and they pulled off some shockers this year. So I guess... It's kind of a shame, too, because we might not get some of the special upsets that we saw this past year in just that one month in 2021, like I think some of us were hoping with the eligibility rule coming out soon. Yeah, no, you make a really great point there. The only thing that could potentially happen would be maybe people who are unhappy at these, you know, bigger schools, these these old misses with their they're unsure what their coaching staff's going to be and you know, they're gonna enter the transfer portal or or maybe girls who weren't playing and are saying, I'm gonna I'm jumping ship right now so I can have four years or three years at a different place if the NCAA says everybody gets an extra year. And maybe you see those girls whose eyes have been opened up to a Long Beach state that offers one of the best nursing programs in the country. And it's one of the only schools where you could go there and become a nurse in another nursing program, right? Or maybe um, a a Fresno State, you know, it's a mid-major that was knocking at the door and they would think, hmm, I could go there and I could be a really big fish in a small pond and take that team to a super regional or potentially a World Series. So I think there's different lenses we can look through uh, and only the future is going to tell what's actually going to happen. What, uh, what were some of the uh, favorite memories that you had this season? Oh, you mean besides uh, UCLA and Alabama and Clearwater? <laughs> yeah. And Alabama, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I have no recollection of that game happening at all. <laughs> no, I think if I just look back to the two biggest tournaments, if I look back to the St. Pete Elite or St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational, it's always a mouthful to say, and the Mary Nutter, I think if I just look back to those and if I beyond games, because there were so many incredible games, I think if you just look at the growth of the sport, the fact that that Sunday night Clearwater game, UCLA versus Fresno State, outrated anything on an ESPN channel, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, we outrated everything, uh, just our sport gaining popularity, and then at Mary Nutter breaking every single attendance record, It just leaves me with so much pride that the work that so many of us are doing, whether you're coaching, whether you have radio shows or podcast shows, or you're actually in the trenches playing, like we're all working together as one team to grow the sport so future generations can continue to dream to play it, right? And so I think if I just look back, I'll I'll look at the tremendous growth, and hopefully I pray that that won't be stunted because of the coronavirus. Yeah, and that's kind of part of my next question, Jen. I know you've been talking with some of the folks at ESPN. We all know what an advocate Megaronowitz is for this sport, Mm -hmm. but it's really a shame that this is the year that's been shortened by this virus because it was going to be an unprecedented TV slate and an unprecedented amount of exposure for college softball. I think it was set in stone, right, that some of the World Series would be on ABC, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I didn't know if that is that public. I do do know that. Yeah, I I saw an article somewhere about it and so okay so since you brought it up I can speak about it but truly this was the year that everybody thought we were going to push over two million views Mm. or you know two million in the ratings category uh, game after game and the champ series was going to be on ABC and not only that but NBA their finals weren't going to be till after so we had nothing to compete with 
at all. This was going to be the year that we made huge statements as far as ratings and growth and popularity within the sport. And all of us at ESPN just really hope that, I mean, it's, it's the coronavirus and it's affecting so many people, right? So you can't, it's, it's hard to be mad at it. I mean, everyone can be frustrated, but it's affecting so many people's lives. But it's just so sad for our sport because we were climbing uphill like with great, a crazy amount of speed and now all of a sudden we're just stopped. Just like waving a flag, stopped. And you just you just don't want it to be the thing that stops the growth. You don't want to look back at this. You don't want to be 10 years down the road and look back and say, oh man, if only 2020 happened, we would be here. You know, you don't want that to happen. Does it seem like uh, like there's still that excitement from the folks at ESPN to want to give this another go next year? Oh, absolutely, no doubt. And our okay, team good. at ESPN, I've been yeah, I've been very fortunate to. They brought me along this year, and it's a funny year for it. I mean, I did postseason last year, but now I feel like I'm really a part of the team and weekly conversations and. For example, our Seven Things podcast will still happen weekly. We're going to launch, I believe we're launching on IGTV today. So depending on when this podcast comes out, it might be yesterday for you. It might be actually the same day. Um, and then there's there's some stuff in the works where we're actually um, going to be on television during, you know, starting in April. So um, there's some exciting things coming, and we're doing everything that we can, and especially Megan Ronowitz. She works harder than anybody else that I know. Um, she's doing everything in her power to ensure that softball continues to grow and still has exposure via ESPN. That's that's really good to hear, and hopefully that will continue on. And uh, I was just going to say, you know, you it, you hear a lot of people saying you know, it's just sports, or you know, it's, it's obviously. You know, there, there's life and death situations going on, and it's certainly that is certainly the case, and we understand that. But it, when you take a look at it, it is more than just sports because it does affect everyone's lives. We're taking a look at what's going on with, say, the Olympics getting postponed a year. You know, all those Olympians, they have to make the choice now. Are they going to stick with it for an extra year? Uh, are they going to give up their dreams because they have to, you know, go on with just regular life? It's a it's a it's a tough situation for everyone that has you know anything to do with, with the sport right now. No, of course, and I know I read a lot of that on Twitter. You know, oh, it's just sports, but the thing is, sports brings people together. Sports makes people feel good. Sports gives you a sense of hope. You know, there are so many so many people, regardless of what sport you love to watch. You can watch a competitive moment and you can be moved by that competitive moment. And so right now there's there isn't that. We can't we can't go back and we can't be inspired by what we see in boxing or softball or soccer or whatever sport it is. But no one can deny that sport doesn't inspire lives because it does. And so to me, it just it's a it's a sad time for so many reasons. It's a sad time because it's unpredictable, it's unprecedented, you just you really don't know what tomorrow brings. Like you guys were saying, like we're, you know, we're not on a stay at home or we're not in a safety. I can't even remember all the terms being tossed out right now. Uh, but tomorrow you might be in two hours. You might be right. And now you're having these Olympians like a Danielle Laurie. We're lucky on team USA. I believe everyone's going to stay. Everybody's coming back, but you're having someone like one of my great friends, Danielle Laurie, who I competed against in college and is one of the, 
best competitors that I've ever faced in my entire life. And not only that, but she's an incredible mom. She's an incredible role model. She's an incredible friend. And now you're having her make decisions that are going to impact her children, her marriage, her future. And how do you look at your girls in the eyes and you tell them, this is only six more months. In six more months, you get to watch mommy at the Olympics and you'll understand why I haven't been there. And now all of a sudden you're telling them, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know what your mommy's doing. And it's almost like you've lied to your children. And as someone expecting a child right now, it's really tough to even think about being put in that position because Danielle's a woman of integrity. Danielle is one of the hardest working people that I know. And now she has to pick sports or family, or she has to figure out how to find the middle ground there. And it just cannot be easy. Yeah. Hey, but Jim, before we let you go, tell us more about the softball school. I, I know you've been very active and very busy, and you've got really an all-star cast helping you out. Oh, it's been incredible. So, uh, gosh, it was a week and a half, maybe 10 or 11 days, when uh, the governor, Governor Newsom in California here, went on TV, and he started to mandate some shutdowns that were going to happen the following week. So I'm sitting on my couch, I'm I'm listening to him speak, I'm waiting for President Trump to come on, because he was scheduled to come on for a press conference, and I just thought of softball school. Out of nowhere, just a random idea, and so I, I text uh, Morgan and Amanda, so the other two founders from the package deal, and I text them four words that they both hate and love to get, and it's, I have a crazy idea, <laughs> which they'll tell you this has happened about five times in the history of the package deal, and every time it's been something wild, but it's worked. And, you know, I can feel the eye roll from the other end of the text, like, oh, gosh, Jen, what now? And so I outlined my idea, let's create this private group where we selflessly share information, let's invite other players in. At this time, we had... No idea who we would invite. And funny story, guys, we have yet to invite one person. All of these people are reaching out to us to ask to be a part of it. So we then put it on our stories, like this is what we're going to do, with the intention that we didn't really know how many classes. We didn't know how we were going to do it. I mean, in my brain, I kind of had an idea of how this could be done. Thank God, Amanda and Morgan they believe in me and my crazy ideas and they're willing to get behind them and help make them better and bigger. And since, I mean, today alone, we have Kelsey Kloss teaching who taught already an 8 a.m. Pacific standard time catching class. So she's an all sec catcher from LSU. Um, your guys's girl, Haley McClenney just ran sprint school inside softball school. We just got done about a half hour ago. And then closing the day is Natasha Watley, Oh, excuse me, three-time Olympian who's going to come and teach slapping. And so every day for six weeks, we are hosting three live classes a day inside a private community. We thought we'd have maybe two to 300 registrations. We didn't know. We had, that was a goal. Uh, we have currently 3,500 members growing by the minute. Wow. We have now added more classes, so we guaranteed 90 classes that you could watch live or you could go back and watch whenever you want, on demand, as many times as you wanted. Um, now we have so many people wanting to, like Coach Enquist, for example, I want to give a, I want to give a class to parents. Okay, well, we're not saying no, you're in there. So now we've got like already 95 classes and we just keep adding them left and right because if you want to teach in there, we're letting you teach in there. They're giving away PDFs. 
We're giving away ghost bats, catching gear. Tasha's giving away... T- I mean, it's just like a community where all of softball is coming together. We have members from Italy. We have the Australian, German, and English 18U national team in there. Uh, there's people from probably every state in the country and six different uh, six different countries. It's It's unbelievable. So we've been able to create a little lemonade out of a really sour time right now, but... Our goal was simply to give players and coaches a bright spot in their days because their days have drastically shifted from going to school, working out, doing homework, doing their softball stuff, getting to be with their teammates. And we're trying to give them a community where girls can connect with one another and learn from the best influencers in the game. So that's what we've done. Well, that, that sounds absolutely amazing. And if, if, you, if you would like to uh, have somebody teach a class on how to properly comment on uh, social media uh, yes. and make it where we don't have to do an Alice the Wall segment anymore. That'd be awesome. <laughs> no, it's great. I mean, we have, so funny enough, we even have Beth Moens doing media training in there. And we've got yeah. Megan Ronowitz giving a class on the growth of softball. Like, it truly, we're like, anybody in, you're passionate about a topic, we want to give you the stage to teach that topic on. And it's funny, uh, we've got... Coach, Coach Enquist registered for softball school. Rachel Lawson registered for softball school. It's really funny. We're like, oh, my God, there's people all over the map in there. <laughs> That's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. Cool. I'm, it really is cool. <laughs> I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to sign up for a couple of these. As the analyst in the out-of-the-box duo, I need to know all this stuff, so I'm in. <laughs> yeah. Kayla Bros teaching. we got a lot of Alabama girls. Uh, Kathy Riley Bosha, Haley McClenny, Kayla Bro. I think those are. Oh, Sydney Littlejohn is teaching a couple of classes. Uh, so we've got a lot of Alabama alumni in there. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in for sure. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's uh, Jim Schroeder joining us, advancing to first here on the podcast. Jim. I wish we could have done more this year, but uh, hopefully next season we can chat a lot more about softball once the world's back to normal and once this great sport is back where it belongs, playing and on TV and on radio across the country. Sounds good. I'll be looking forward to it, guys. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks, Jen. Thanks, Jen. Bye. All right, that's us advancing to first and discussing softball with Jen Schroeder. Before we uh, go to break, though, Tom, congratulations are in order for a dear friend of ours. Oh, yes, I think I did see this. Yes, congratulations to Emily Petek on the birth of her son, Patrick Fitzgerald Clifford. Yeah! Our our little (laughs) out-of-the-boxer. Yes, we we have little out-of-the-boxers now. We're going to make out-of-the-box PJs for babies and send it to her, and she's going to love that. Maybe he can wear a farcical shirt. Who knows? Uh, Sure. (laughs) Or, you know, it's something that you could wrap him up in and he could pee on. You know, whatever you got to do, it's fine. (laughs) Whatever, whatever's necessary. (laughs) Right, exactly. All right, now it's time to steal second. Coming up on the other side, Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. A lot of us want to hear from him, and he's got a lot to talk about after all that's gone down in softball. That coming up here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. It is the season two finale of the show, and we are stealing second, showing off our speed. The green light guys, Gray and Tom Canterbury. Here, talking with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy as we steal second with Coach Murphy. And Coach, uh, 
You know, it's way too early for us to be doing what we're doing, wrapping up the 2020 softball season, but unfortunately it's what it is right now in the world. How are you holding up with everything happening as it is? Well, I guess just one day at a time, and, you know, it, it reminds me of, um, you know, this is kind of a time where all of us could kind of take a step back from the athletic world and kind of see what's really important. And, you know, you can, all of us can make um, little goals for ourselves and just work on them one day at a time because I know a lot of us have a lot of free time on our hands now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I just want to say how much uh, all of us appreciate what you guys do for the team and the sport in general. So you're right. It's an unfortunate quick ending uh, to Team 24. Yeah. And I remember a conversation that we had. I think it was before one of the Arizona games, maybe. We were down, and, and you came over, and you did a little elbow bump to Tom and me, and you said, you know, we're not shaking hands. Watch out. This thing's coming. And I, I think that was also the night Greg Byrne walked into our radio booth, and Tom and I both uh, <laughs> stuck out our hands to shake his hands, and he said, no, we're going fist bump. So wow. when did you first really understand that this virus might directly impact not only this team, but the sport, and not just softball, but the whole sports world? Well, probably, you know, you could see an inkling of it coming, but I think it was when the NBA player uh, tested that he had, had positive um, for the virus. And, and then that set off the biggest chain of events, you know, because then the SEC tournament and, and then it just, the dominoes just fell like crazy. And it was, I mean, it was so, the suddenness of it all was just the thing that kind of punched you in the gut the worst. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had the, we had that big tournament at home that weekend and it was going to be a great, great weekend of softball. You know, Texas was in town, BYU for the first time, Bryant University for the first time. So we were really looking forward to that. And, and at first, you know, it was just, what, 250 fans or, or um, uh, relatives, you know, only because they cut the crowd out of the SEC basketball tournament. And then I think it was Thursday morning, wasn't it, that they had canceled all kinds of stuff. And, yeah. and we had to call all the teams in the tournament and say, we're sorry, but they just they canceled until I think it was March 30th, the first one. And then we brought the team over, and then within, you know, everything happens just on the hour for the next, like, two days. And everything that we said to the team the first meeting, uh, we literally called them back that day and said, okay, scratch all that. Here's what we know now. And then the next day, um, you know, that's when the SEC uh, athletic directors and the presidents met, and then they decided on the April 15th. Uh, moratorium of everything, no recruiting, no weight room, nothing, no practices, no volunteer, no team meetings. Uh, And then, you know, basically every school in the country went online only. So it happened very quickly. But I think the thing that kind of set it all off was, you know, when the NBA suspended their season. What, uh, from your perspective and from what you were able to see from, uh, from the ladies, how, how do you think that they are processing everything that's going on? I think, you know, for the most part, anytime there's adversity, they get it over, they get over it much quicker than the coaches do. And I'm really proud of them for that. And, you know, we're, we're a program that's been built on, um, 
you know, the very first thing I say at every team meeting in August when we come back from the summer and, you know, the freshmen are wide-eyed and ready to go and the seniors could probably tell you exactly everything that I'm going to say because they heard it for three years. <laughs> but the first thing I say is the, the, the sooner you realize that life is not all about you, the better off you're going to be in everything. And this was one of those opportunities to really live that. And it was a much bigger, bigger picture, um, way bigger than anything sports-wise, you know, our program-wise. Just obviously it's a worldwide uh, health issue. So in that respect, I think they all got it because we do try to look at the bigger picture. Um, but it, it was just a really difficult time for especially the seniors who, you know, we still don't really know if they're going to get that year back. Uh, I think that's going to be decided on March 30th. But just the the suddenness of it's gone, you know. I'm not going to play this weekend. It was supposed to be Sarah Cornell Senior Day Saturday. And, you know, all these things just going through your head. And it was a, it was a wild 48 hours uh, for a while. But I think most of them now, um, you know, they've got really good uh, head on their shoulders. they got really good parents. Their families are great. So... I think everybody's doing well. We're talking about Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy here on the Out of the Box season two finale. Uh, coach, we're going to talk about that eligibility issue later on because I know there are a lot of logistics that have to be discussed. But I want to talk more about those 48 hours that you just mentioned. How, I guess, in-depth were the conversations with Greg Byrne that you were having? How many people were involved? What were you being told? How was this information that was coming in from the SEC being disseminated to all of the softball coaches and coaches at Alabama? Well, I think it was everything was so so quick, and um, the the how I found out about the uh, World Series being canceling was literally a text message from Tim Walton that said, "Did you see this?" And it was a screenshot of the the tweet from the NCAA, and you know, and then I called my boss, who's Tiffany Grimes, and I said, "Is this for real?" And and she had just gotten, I think, an email from the NCAA, so. I mean, stuff was getting disseminated through Twitter mm-hmm. across the country, and that's probably the quickest way to do it. But it was just strange that, um, you know, we learn about No World Series on Twitter. Uh, and, and, of course, you know, the team's going to know it. Uh, so I think KB sides, she did the same thing. She took a screenshot and sent it to me, and she said, is this for real? So then that's when everybody turned around in their cars and said, everybody get back to the stadium. And then we had that other team meeting. And then Friday, I think it was the Friday afternoon, where uh, Mr. Byrne uh, met with all the ADs in the conference and then the commissioner and the presidents. And then we had a head coaches meeting that afternoon uh, around 1.30. Um, and, you know, they told us of the, the SEC um, mandate of uh, April 15th, no activity. So we, we decided we had to call the team back because if we hadn't, you know, it might not be until August where we could see everybody again and we weren't sure what seniors were going to do. So we had to get everybody back again. And then that afternoon we went to the clubhouse and we told them and there was a lot of tears. And, um, you know, that was when I said, I, I need one more favor from everybody. We haven't taken a team picture because in my career, I have a tradition of we don't take a team picture until about the second to last weekend. And then that, that team picture is the one that goes into the College World Series program. 
So we literally went out to center field in front of the big A on the grass and took our, our team picture for Team 24. And I'm sure you guys have seen it because it's it, uh, people had random T-shirts on and, you know, there was no uniform, there was no coaching clothes. It was just whatever they had on. Um, and I think that's going to be probably one of my favorite team pictures of all time. And with the way the, the season went for you uh, and for the team overall, uh, just wonder some of your, your takeaways and some of your favorite memories from this team overall in the 2020 season. Well, I think it was definitely one of the, the toughest schedules preseason that we've ever had. And I was, to be honest with you, I was shocked that our RPI wasn't higher yeah. uh, when, that, when that, that one came out. But, um, you know, because we were set to play three number one teams, uh, Texas, which we didn't get to play, Washington and UCLA. And I think we would have been the only team in the country that could say that at the time. Plus, we were, you know, we were preseason, so um, just so just a tough schedule. But uh, you know, it was gonna it was gonna pay off. And I really feel that they were buying into um, a growth mindset mentality, and we were just continuing. We're gonna continue to get better every weekend, every game. And, you know, the pitchers were going to getting into it. All the hitters were. And then you kind of saw the result of it, those last two games against Arkansas, um, which was a good team. You know, they were a top 25 team. And, uh, you know, we have a really good pitcher's duel on the Friday night. And then we come back and we run roll them twice. And I, I think we had turned the corner right then. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get to show it the rest of the year. Coach, I think the thing that really makes me the saddest when I look at this year was that we didn't get to see what could have been for especially KB Sides and Skylar Wallace, who Tom and I both voted them unofficially, of course, the team MVP when we were recording earlier, but they were just having such special years and you're able to do so many things with them in the lineup, have them hit clean up one game and then lead off the next. And they were doing everything right and, and really having all sec and all american years and unfortunately that got cut short and you know how, how as a player uh or at least how as a coach are you going to try and advise them uh to train and you know continue the level that they were at this year going into next season well if there was a year that we could have really used a cape cod style league for softball this would be the year yeah, because I think a lot of really good players would want to play in it because, you know, we got to play 22 games. Some some people had 20, some had 25 or 26. So this would have been a really, really good year for that. Um, and then, you know, I don't even know if I, – I think there is one in Florida, but um, who knows if that's going to get to play, you know, if, if those kids are going to get to play in that league. But um, – I don't know. I think both of them. Um, I mean, there were several people that were going to have really good years, I thought. Uh, but if both of them just continued to do what they, you know, did this year, I think KB took a huge, huge stride last year from freshman to sophomore. And then she took another big one this year. And Skyler, I mean, she, that was a big, big jump. Um, work, work ethic, um, put a lot of stuff into her game. You know, that summer with the junior Olympic team was big for her. 
and then I think she was really coming into her own. And again, you know, she's a kid that could lead off, hit two, hit three hole easily for us in the future. Um, but yeah, those two were having special years. And Mac had a really good year. Kilfoy was about to show everybody what she could do. You know, shoot, we we didn't even get to see Alyssa and Claire. Um, and and Tao, I think, was on the upswing. So there was a lot of a lot of good things that were about to happen. We saw uh, here today the uh, announcement official that the Olympics are going to move to 2021. Uh, is there any indication or do you know, like, will that just mean that everybody that was on the team this year is going to be on the team next year? Are they going to redo the trials? Do you know any of that? What's going to happen? No, I don't know. And, you know, obviously those um, highly, highly uh, talented individuals on that team, they, they basically put their life on hold. Since you know, actually three months, and now you're gonna are you gonna is it gonna happen for another what sixteen months? Um, and they have to do that again because the, none of them are really making any money because they literally have to quit their jobs and um, you know it's tough for them. So I would assume that they would stick with that team. Um, you know, unless unless somebody you know says I can't do this, yeah. um, you know I felt really bad. Same thing with Team Canada. I know several of their players, and you know Danielle Laurie is a really good example. She's a wife, a mom of two kids. You know, she works for ESPN, and um, there's another lady named Lauren Bay. Um, she pitched uh, for Team Canada, and she pitched for Oklahoma State. Um, but just a great, great. Uh, person great pitcher left-handed who throws gas she's got three kids her and her husband live near akron ohio and they, they own a business together and you know what's going to happen with her and you know she put her life on hold for a chance to win a medal so it, it's a and that goes for every athlete you know those track athletes they work four years for maybe you know i don't know how long a hundred meter sprint is 11 seconds mm-hmm. for four years and a chance to win a medal. So um, just all the more power to all of them. And I wish, I wish, I hope everything goes well uh, for the softball, especially. Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy joining us here on Out of the Box. Uh, coach, let's talk 2021. There are obviously a lot of logistics that have to be handled, not w- just with eligibility, but also we've gotten questions, I'm sure you have as well, about the SEC tournament coming back to Rhodes. Uh, let's start with the eligibility question. You mentioned the vote coming up on March 30th. I think we're all of the agreement that these teams and the spring sports should let everybody have that extra year because their seasons were cut short. But how does that work, and how does that look not only for Alabama but throughout the SEC? Well, nobody knows, but obviously uh, it's a a big decision by a committee from the NCAA, and Division II has already uh, been told they can. And I'm fairly certain that they, they included everybody on the roster. So everybody on the team got another year. So if you go by what Division Two um, is going to do, you know, that looks fair, favorably for Division One. but you never know. Um, all seven of our kids have said they would like to come back. 
have any questions, I said, please let me know. And a lot of them were, were about scholarships, which is, you know, that's a big question for everybody. Um, a lot of them were going to go to grad school. So I don't think they could afford a 50 year with no money, scholarship money, and then try to go to grad school for two years and probably have to pay on their own as well. So that's a big question mark. Um, I would think that you could um, exempt the senior scholarships for next year because you have I have five freshmen coming in. I lose seven seniors. Uh, whatever they were on this year, they would get next year, and then you just wouldn't count their money in the team total. So it'd be a one-year exemption. Um, and then you know the SEC tournament. We're hoping that we don't have to wait till. 2034 for it to come back because <laughs> none of us are going to be around. No. <laughs> um, unless you, we all come back and we're guest commentators. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping that the, you know, everybody, it, to me as well, I was talking to a friend this morning, you know, it, it would be a uh, um, savings on everybody's budget if it came here, except for the other school that would host it next year, which was Florida. Um, I think we're a lot more centrally located and there's a lot more teams that could drive to us and wouldn't have to take a charter or a, a flight. And there's the money impact. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's going to be wide ranging. I think from, you know, every school in the country, that's division one, that's power five, non-power five, you know, um, can everybody afford it? You know, that, that's a big, big question mark. And then looking at, you know, even schedules for next year, do you just continue, do you try to replay this year's schedule or do you go, like, you know, just wipe this one off and go to 2021? Uh, there, there's uh, there's so many different spider webs you get caught in uh, moving forward schedule-wise, too. Yeah, and, you know, when you look at baseball, SEC baseball, they didn't even play a conference series. They were about to. You know, yeah. everybody got canceled on the Thursday afternoon and there were some schools that were literally at airports or on a flight going to their school uh, to play and then said, turn around and come home. So we got to play one weekend. You know, the trickiest part about us is we have a bye, um, but that bye weekend, we play eight weekends, but it takes nine, and everybody has a bye within those weekends. And if it's earlier in the season, it's easy to get teams to come, like this, like when we had Texas, BYU, and Bryant. Their conferences hadn't started. But you have a later buy, it's a lot more difficult. And ours next year is uh, April 23rd. So we have to figure out who in the country is not playing conference and see if they'll come to us or we can go to them. So the biggest difficulty for us, I think, softball, most schools are done with their 21 schedules already. You know, they know who they play in conference, so they know where their bye weekend is. They probably put a tournament in there. Um, you know, I think last year, Kentucky went to Texas Tech. And it was the weekend before the SEC tournament because I think they just stayed in Texas and came down to College Station after they played at Texas Tech. Uh, you know, so that's an example of a really, really late by weekend. So, you know, when you do these, we send out a contract right away because we want we don't want that school to cancel on us last second and not have anybody to play. Right. So there's probably a lot of schools that have already contracted for that bye weekend. Mm -hmm. So 
I could see, you know, us just wiping out the 20 and going with the 21. Hmm. If, it, if, if it all doesn't work out that way and you have to find somebody, if we have to go to Hawaii again, it'll be all right. <laughs> well, yeah, well, that's out. true. Yeah, that's true. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about that because, you know, if this had happened last year, what would we what would we have done? We would have been in Hawaii as all this was going down. We have been trapped there. We have stayed the whole time. I mean, who knows? That would have been too bad. Yeah. Well, we could have gone to the Dole Plantation again and got some more ice cream. <laughs> Fine by me. Um, Coach, before so, we let you next go. Next year, or, next year the 21, you know, we're going to Texas the very first weekend. Yeah. So we're returning their trip. And then um, I think we host three weekends, and then we got to find something for that bye weekend. So we're pretty much done, too, with our non-conference schedule. And obviously we know all the weekends that we play conference-wise. Well, Coach, uh, before we let you go, and thank you so much for joining us here today, um, anything else that you would like to say to the fans about the, your coaching staff, the, the staff that you've got at the University of Alabama, and also the players uh, after what's been really just a, kind of a nightmarish last couple weeks, but, but about how they've responded to it and what the future looks like? Well, I think, you know, we have the best staff in the country, and that goes for everybody the radio guys the managers the athletic trainer sports information um, grounds crew marketing academics video i mean equipment there's so many people that make this uh train run smoothly so number one thank them and you know they're all in too they're bought in you guys are bought in and it was rough for everybody um but you know another thing that the the fans um They've all shown like great compassion and empathy towards us and the players. And I just think next year, and, and again, maybe, you know, silver lining here with the Olympics coming back, you know, next summer, maybe this, this upcoming year for 21 will be the biggest and best for the sport of softball mm. that it's ever been. Because you're going to see so many people that are so hungry to watch a game. I think um, tickets are going to go through the roof. Uh, they're going to miss it so much. I mean, I've had, had so many uh, tweets and messages and emails and texts, and just it's been unbelievable about how much they missed it and can't wait for next year. So um, I think that's the message that I'm going to give to the team is so many people are just waiting for you to play again that we're going to put on a, a good show for everybody in 21. We're in the same boat. We are ready for the season to come around. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that we got to talk with you today and kind of clear through some things. You know, there's a lot that's going to change over the next couple months. But uh, I know we're all going to be ready to keep rocking and rolling. And as uh, as we always say in the support staff group chat, and I know you say to your staff and your team, champions adjust. So we're going to just keep uh, keep on swimming and keep figuring out what to do next. Yes. And I think you guys know this. But everybody needs to realize, too, the bigger picture in all this is the health and safety of basically everybody in the world. So yeah. uh, sports takes a backseat. And, you know, next year when everybody's getting over this and healthy, we're going to have a one hell of a run. Absolutely. That's a stealing segment with Alabama head coach Patrick Murphy. Tom, what say we talk to one of our radio brethren? 
Yes, one of the uh, one of the few people associated with the University of Tennessee that I'm cool with. <laughs> it's a very short short list. But <laughs> one name on that list is Brian Rice, the voice of Tennessee Lady Ball softball. We will chat with him as we round third here on the Out of the Box Podcast season two finale. On this season two finale, Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury here, along with the voice of Tennessee Lady Ball Softball, Brian Rice. Brian, welcome in. We are sad we are having to do this first interview over the phone. We were hoping on doing it in person last weekend, but thankfully we get to talk to you today. Yeah, it's good to be with you. You know, I was hoping that we could uh, record something after a uh, lovely meal at uh, one of the local Knoxville establishments. Uh, maybe a little dead-end barbecue where I actually ate earlier today, or uh, sweet peas, or uh, the uh, biscuit company. One of the one of the many great places in Knoxville would have been a great destination for us. Mm-hmm. Wow. All, all that sounds amazing. There's not often I would have been excited to go to Knoxville, but I would much rather be there and having done that weekend and having a regular season continuing than what's going on right now, that's for sure. Yeah, I was, uh, you know, making the food tour of the SEC is one of the best parts about traveling with uh, with these teams. So it was going to be uh, Rosa's Cafe and Tortilla Factory in College Station for me last weekend. And, you know, we get the SEC tournament time, uh, the donut shop uh, right there in downtown Tuscaloosa across from the uh, embassy would have been uh, been perfect, but uh, here we are. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's Dave's. That's right across from uh, the embassy. Actually, when we did our... Uh, our trivia night with Alabama softball this year, one of the prizes we gave out was Babes with Murph, which was actually going to Babes and hanging out with Murph. So it actually sounded a little different than what it actually was, but that was a lot of fun. Wow, that would have been amazing. We, we have a local donut place here that I, I told the owner I love it, and I'm happy to, to help them promote themselves, but it is the second best in the world behind Babes in Tuscaloosa. So, Oh, wow. We'll take that. Yeah, that's high praise right there. And, you know, I, I wish we could be doing all these things, but unfortunately because of the world that we're living in right now, we can't. Uh, sports are done for the foreseeable future. We don't really know when they'll be coming back. And you tweeted kind of a sobering picture of the Tennessee Lady Vols 2020 softball team. What's the story behind that picture, and, and what happened the day that y'all found out that the season was indeed over? You know, you guys know how it is with getting uniforms and stuff in at the last minute right before the season starts, and then weather, of course, being an issue. So through a convergence of a bunch of events, they weren't able to take the traditional team photo out in front of the scoreboard. They were just going to do it before one of the midweek games. So, you know, no no big deal. But they really wanted the one of the new uniform sets from this year on there, and uh, so we never took one. And then we're in the airport getting ready to – fly, uh, you can fly direct Knoxville to Houston, and then we we're going to bus on over to College Station. And a local newspaper uh, in the Mid-State, uh, getting ready for the Mid-State Classic, which was to be the following Tuesday in Columbia, Tennessee, needed a team photo. So our uh, sports information director, Akila, said, hey, who has the best iPhone camera? And among our little group, it, it fell to me, and so we we gathered the team in their travel gear uh, right in front of the big bay window there at the Knoxville airport and uh, just took a team photo. And as soon as that was done, I, I texted it onto her and uh, went to get a drink before uh, getting on the airplane. And 
we got back to the gate, and I picked up my bag to go stand in line, and Karen Weekly comes over and says, hey, um, everybody hold up. Let's not get on the plane just yet. And uh, she had gotten word from our team administrator that um, the weekend of softball may not be happening, and we needed to not get on the plane and be in the air when that happened. So we uh, stood at the gate for about 20 minutes, and then word came down that the men's basketball tournament was being pulled off, and because of that, um, we knew that the, the next step was spring sports were off for the weekend, but they wanted to just take the time to make a separate announcement. And so we actually sat at the gate inside the airport and waited on the bus because with the news not coming out for an hour or so, um, we didn't want to break anything. You know, So we, uh, we all sat at the gate and waited, and then the bus came back and picked them up. And I got in my car and, and drove and had lunch and didn't really know what was going to happen for the next uh, few weeks, and I still don't know what's going to happen for the next few weeks and months other than um, you know, it went from let's take a team photo to your season's over. And that's a, that's a pretty remarkable um, jump because you realize in looking at that picture – that even though there's eligibility coming back and scholarships and all that, that team is never going to play again. They were they were in line to get on an airplane, and then all of a sudden they're never going to play together again. And that, that's a really hard thing to wrap your mind around. It's amazing, Brian, when you think about it, how quickly everything went. Alabama was looking to be, you know, we were hosting a tournament in Tuscaloosa that we were actually going to play BYU on Thursday uh evening and then it went from in a matter of about 12 hours from we're playing to we're playing with no fans to this weekend's going to be canceled to uh we're canceled for two weeks to the season is over it's amazing how quickly that was whirlwind wise and then you know the effects it has on people like us but uh it's definitely got to be even worse for the players themselves to go through that you know, we're used to ending seasons on the field or on the court, and you know when it's over. You've either lost your final game or you've played your final game, and you know that, that there's no postseason beyond that. It's so rare in sports for your season to end somewhere else, and that's the reality that these teams across the country in every sport have faced. They went from, you know, we're getting ready, and it's not even the end of the season. You know, you couldn't prepare yourself for the end of the season. It's just all of a sudden, you know, we were actually in the airport one gate away from the Yale women's rowing team. And at that point, the Ivy League had already canceled their entire athletic program for the spring. And, I, you know, I'm looking over at them, feeling sorry for them that their season's over through no fault of their own. And then, you know, 20 minutes later, that's us. It's just, it's incredible to think about because you're never, literally never in sports in this situation. And it's crazy that it's happening in a year like this where there was so much parody. You know, we we look at the RPI that came out on that Monday, which was a surprise release. Everybody was shocked to see it. And then, of course, four days later, the sports basically canceled. But that first RPI had teams like Louisiana, Duke, UCF, who you know very well, uh, was in the top 10. Fresno State after they beat Texas, and there were so many upsets this year. It's really a shame that it was this season where nobody really knew what was going on or what could happen that got cut short. Yeah, you know, you never really know anything for sure, but 
what you did know this season was this was the craziest season we had seen in person. And I feel confident in saying that. I mean, I saw it in person. You mentioned UCF. That's a team that was going to do special things this year for the first time ever. You know, they they were a really good, well-put-together team. You had teams like Louisiana who have been good for a long time. But was this the year that they took a step forward to be a World Series team and to be a factor in Oklahoma City? And just seeing how on any given night anybody could beat anybody. Tennessee lost East Tennessee State for the first time ever. Broke a 100-game in-state winning streak. But they lined up and, and won the game. And just seeing those things and seeing that play out just was a great testament to where the sport is. And I hope it picks right back up next year. It, it's inconvenient for those of us who like to win 12 nothing in the midweek and five innings. But it's great for the product, both in person and on television. Was there a specific team? I know you mentioned UCS, but there were there were some other ones out there too that really I thought had just a great potential to do things that they might have never done before. Uh, some of the other ones that maybe that stuck out at you that were, man, this this really stinks for this team. Well, you know, we saw UCF in person. We saw USF in person. I think they were the preseason pick to win the American, and I think UCF would have gotten them, but. That would have been fun to watch because they were really good as well. Even without their head coaches, Ken Erickson was leading the national team. Um, but I even look at teams like Duke coming up with ranked wins early on in the infancy of that program. Clemson in their first season of softball selling out their stadium and getting wins over established teams. And, and what Clemson was doing was not just showing – some parity and not just showing what a first-year program can do, but I think Clemson was also showing some of the few Power 5 schools that don't have softball what you're missing out on and what you're missing out on right away, which is a sport that is going to sell out whatever size stadium you build for your team on campus. I mean, high Vanderbilt, high some of the Big 12 teams, you know, it's time to join the rest of us with a sport that everybody loves and will sell out in a time when a lot of things don't sell out. And I think another, you know, really shameful part of all this and shameful in that it's a shame to see, you know, this is going to be the most televised year of the sport and the ratings have been growing the last couple seasons. But this year they were already bigger than normal. We'd seen a huge increase in that marquee game at the St. Pete Clearwater Elite Invitational in the ratings. And unfortunately, all of that programming is gone now. And after, you know, Mega Ronowitz and all the folks at ESPN did such a great job getting softball on the air. Yeah, and there were possibilities for more primetime slots. Um, from what I heard, there was a possibility of there being a network spot or two uh, as the season went on. I mean, those are the kinds of things that don't come along every day, and may, maybe they're there next year. You know, this sport will continue to grow, but live programming is the lifeblood of these networks. It's the only thing that's DVR-proof, and this is a sport that has continued to seize that, has continued to see how important it was. And so, you know, I hate it for all the kids that – that are going to get to come back next year. I, you know, we can talk about eligibility in a bit, but I, I think you know a lot of these kids were having the season of their lives or were getting ready for the season of their lives, and that, you can't just pick it, pick that up and duplicate it next year. You know, each year is special on its own, and you can never recreate it. You can never have it back again, and that's the unfortunate part. Those kids and those teams that have found the magic 
and we're finding an audience and we're finding a fan base, it's a tough thing to come back and try to reclaim that, whether it's next year or whenever. Mentioned the possibility, the eligibility relief that's going to be uh, hopefully handed down here by the NCAA within the next week or so. Um, what do you think that ends up looking like? I know there's so many different scenarios and different uh, ways it can go and ramifications, not just for next year, but years moving forward. Uh, what do you think the NCAA is going to end up, end up doing? Well, I think they're in a position where they're forced to do this because you're looking at Indoor, or excuse me, outdoor track and field and women's rowing had not even started yet. So automatically, those sports, everybody's eligible for a red shirt. So you're going to have to address it in some way, somehow. So I think it makes it very easy for them to say, look, everybody gets this year back. It, it's a red shirt year for everybody, and that's the right thing to do. Now, they're going to have to accompany that with making some changes in squad size limits and in scholarship limits. Because if you're baseball at 11.7, you're softball at 13, if you're now trying to divide that pool over a bigger group, and that's just that's not realistic. That's not going to work. So in my mind, what will happen is you'll see something along the lines of kids in their fifth year for the next, and you're going to have to do it for the next three or four years because everybody's getting this year back. Mm-hmm. Um, but kids in their fifth year don't count against that, that scholarship limit. That would be what I would do. That's the easiest way to take the step forward and to say and to do right by everybody. Now, that said, not every kid's going to want to come back. I mean, you have kids that have been accepted into grad school. You have student athletes that have jobs lined up for post-graduation. Uh, so it's not going to be there for everybody. And that's the really unfortunate thing is, you know, we're talking about giving everybody a year back, but not everybody's going to be in a position to take it. Um, you know, you don't have full scholarships. So there are some kids that financially can't do a fifth year. And that's unfortunate. But I think the NCAA will try to do what's right by these athletes because we're in extraordinary times. You can, you can do things that in other years you would not have done because there's no precedent for it. There's no precedent for any of the situations that we're in right now. And that allows the NCAA and every sports organization to have some flexibility. The Olympics were postponed for the first time ever. If the Olympics can literally move a world event, then the NCAA can do the right thing by student athletes, and I think they will. Yeah, and assuming they do the right thing, what does that make Tennessee softball look like in 2021? And not just Tennessee, but the SEC, because I think we were gearing up for what would have been just a topsy-turvy season of conference play in this conference. Well, I think you have a lot of young players uh, across the conference, but I mean, particularly for the Tennessee team that I watch every game, you have some players who got some experience. And that is going to be invaluable as they go in, even though they didn't get a full season, as they go into the offseason, they go into the fall, and then getting ready for next year. You're going to have the opportunity to have them just develop. You know, Cali Turner for Tennessee had to carry the load as an ace pitcher because Ashley Rogers was out. Ashley Rogers was was cleared to come back and potentially pitch against Texas A&M for Tennessee. And now she's going to be back. She has, for better or worse, she has even more time to get fully healthy. And then you've had both of them now be aces. I think that helps Tennessee. Uh, you had Florida with some young players that were contributing. Uh, you had Alabama continuing to do what they were supposed to do without, again, just like Tennessee, without their top pitcher, arguably, in Montana South. 
and you had to assume she would be back at some point very soon. So, you know, these teams, a lot of them learned. I go there, even to Arizona. We both saw Arizona play this year. They were learning to play without one of their best offensive weapons that catcher because she was gone with the national team. Mm-hmm. If she gone with the national team again next year, I don't know because I don't know what their schedule is going to look like. But a lot of these schools were learning to play without their best player or one of their best players, and I think that's going to make those teams even more dangerous, and it may make next year even crazier from the SEC standpoint. Brian, I know you're really keyed in with everything at Tennessee as far as the other athletic programs as well. Just what is the uh, general uh, environment and thought process of what's going on in Knoxville right now in all the sports? You know, it's disappointment, and its I know that's the same everywhere, but you have had a lot of sports at Tennessee that have struggled over the last few years. Um, baseball had not been to the NCAA tournament since 2005 until last year. Well, this year they're ranked in the top 15, off to one of the best starts in school history, already knocked off a number one team in the country. You had a women's swimming and diving team that was going to be one of the three favorites at the NCAA meet that was scheduled to take place last weekend. Uh, you had a Lady Ball basketball team who was looking to, to get back in that groove and had a comeback season this year. Uh, Tennessee men's basketball was, was looking for the NIT, try to develop some things for next year before they have a, a top three recruiting class coming in. Um, but Rowling was going to host the NCAA championships. There's just so much disappointment because, particularly in the, in the swimming and diving team and in the track team that just came off the great performance of the NCAA indoor meet, you're looking at once-in-a-lifetime type seasons, and maybe they duplicate that next year. But Tennessee Swimming's not going to have Erica Brownback, who was the best all-around swimmer in the country this year. Uh, she's going to be tra- training for the Olympics next year. She's, her eligibility's up. You just hate it because you had opportunity there mm-hmm. in some sports for the first time in a long time, and you're not going to get to realize that. And then we all lost spring football. I know the spring game doesn't move a, move the meter for everybody, but you know there was this was a very important spring practice for a lot of programs for Tennessee with the lot that they had coming back. I know for Alabama trying to replace Tua, uh, for Georgia trying to replace uh, Jake Fromm. It was this was just a really important spring for so many schools and so many sports, and it's just an opportunity lost for some special season. Yeah, the whole thing is just unfortunate and how widespreading it is, not just in sports and in the SEC, but just the entire country as we talk to Brian Rice, the voice of Tennessee Lady Ball Softball. Brian, before we let you go, we're going to do this in Knoxville, so we're going to give you a chance now to do your very own Tennessee off the wall. So what do you have? What What is crazy that you've seen over the years or maybe just this year? You know, I think about places that we go eat. You know, not every place handles team noodles very well. Uh, We've been to some very nice places that have done it very well, some very nice places that haven't done it very well. Um, But I, unfortunately, this year, we didn't get to go to one of our staples in Cracker Barrel that we go to nearly every trip every year. But I'm grateful that we missed out on the Golden Corral because I've been thinking a lot about the Golden Corral lately. Um, we had a trip there several years ago, that, and there's there's some history with the program and the Golden Corral, but I knew we were in trouble as a country with this coronavirus deal because somebody sent in our group chat the photo from a Golden Corral that said, due to the coronavirus, the Chocolate Wonderfall has been turned off. 
Do you know how disgusting that thing is on a normal basis? How bad things have to be for Golden Corral to turn off the chocolate fountain the kids stick their nasty hands in? It's got to be bad. And that's where I knew we were in real trouble. You know, they don't mind if people double dip in the chocolate fountain officially. They have to mind, but they don't mind. But if we're in a public health crisis that requires the Wonder Ball to be turned off, you know it's serious. And that's where we are. And that was my first sign that we were going to be in trouble here with the coronavirus was the sign. Due to the coronavirus, the chocolate wonderfall has been discontinued. So we'll note for the future, anytime Golden Corral closes the chocolate wonderfall, we need to hunker down and buy toilet paper. Yeah, it's the new Waffle House Index. It really is. (laughs) Shelter in place. The wonderfall is down. (laughs) I can't Uh, say I'm disappointed that I didn't get to go see it this year, but it is disconcerting that it was turned on. That is scary. Oh, goodness. Well, hopefully it's turned back on soon uh, for you and for the rest of the Tennessee Lady Vols and and all sports, Brian, as we uh, round third with you here on the Out of the Box Season 2 finale. Brian, thanks so much for hopping on with us, and enjoy your uh, social distancing as uh, long as we have to keep doing it. And gentlemen, I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm headed back to work for Netflix at the weekend at this point. <laughs> Sounds good. Talk to you soon, Brian. Thanks. Thanks, guys. That's us rounding third with Brian Rice. And now, Tom, it's time to head home. Oh, my goodness. Yes. yes. We've got SEC picks, which I guess are the final <laughs> results. So uh, you win. Uh, all yeah. team, final thoughts, and some announcements, especially about the future of the podcast, because there will be a future. Stay tuned as we get ready to head home around the Out of the Box Podcast Season 2 finale. back to the out of the box podcast we are heading home here gray and tom from our remote locations that we're not going to tell you because we don't want you to hunt us down but we are keeping our distance and we've had a great second season finale we started at the plate talked about alabama and the season and what could be and what was and what we wish could have been here in softball in 2020. Then we advanced to first chatted with jen schroeder our dear friend we stole second and discussed the whole situation with Patrick Murphy. I thought, Tom, he had a really good head about things. Frankly, I was honestly worried about him when all this happened because, I mean, as a coach, you know, these guys and and gals live and breathe these sports and to have it ripped away, it's hard for us because, you know, we spend so much time together and we travel with the program and love uh, everything about it. But these coaches in all sports are having to just stop everything that they're doing right now. Yeah, I was too, but at the same time, I thought, you know, somebody like, like Coach Murphy's going to be, uh, he's going to have a good head about it. He's going to see the big picture, and, and you know, he's going to be more worried about the players as far as who they are individually and as people as, in addition to what they're going to do as players. So uh, I, I think he'll, he'll have it all under control, and uh, he's good at rolling with the punches and whatever type of different things are going to be put down by the NCAA and how the uh, extra eligibility is going to work out and he's going to have a good plan for it. But uh, that's, I think that's the thing that a lot of these coaches are worried the most about is how do we move forward, assuming everything gets back to normal going into next year, 
with an extra seven, eight players on the team, and you got to figure out how you're going to do the scholarships. And that's going to be such a, it's going to be a, uh, an interesting thing to watch, but it could be the difference between having some of these mega teams and maybe having some of these teams see grad transfers move around and seeing where things get put in. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of mentioned it, and we talked about it a bit earlier, but what does normal look like? I've been doing a lot of reading about how this could impact the country for years and years and how we interact and how we live. And, you know, what what does an Alabama home softball game look like in 2021? Are we allowed to have 3,000 people in close quarters, assuming everything is fixed, but, you know, maybe it's fixed temporarily and this is suddenly a seasonal thing we have to deal with? I mean, who knows? We... We're all learning as, as things go. Yeah. Well, a lot's going to have to do with how the vaccine and how these different drug treatment trials go and uh, getting things. Ultimately, there's going to be a lot of things that are good hygiene that will need to be changed anyway that probably have needed to been changed for a long time. But, you know, I, I don't think you can, for the sake of the country, the sake of the economy and all that other type of things, I don't think you can just shut down every time that there's a virus. Uh, this is a special situation, and it may move, have some things change moving forward, but at the same time, you know, the, I don't think locking everyone down for months out of the year is a, uh, is a rational or a possible thing moving forward. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Uh, the, we, we rounded third as well with Brian Rice, and again, I wish we could have done that interview in person in Knoxville. You know, we... we unfortunately had a really good plan for the rest of this season with the podcast and we can't really do any of it i was looking forward to our plan to sneak into roads after hours and just lock down the sec now set with jen and amanda and bro and all the people we discussed doing that with and unfortunately that is one of many things we won't be able to accomplish this year i may still just go and break into rose stadium and just hang out at some point um when it's legal to do so. Yeah, let me tell you, I did that right when I got back from Nashville. I went to Rhodes. Uh, Sarah Cornell shot me a message and said, hey, some of the teams here, come come hang. And I went and saw everybody and talked to Allison Habits, who naturally was as upbeat as any human being could be in the world. But I went up to the press box after to grab some of the radio equipment and uh, bring it to you, which, by the way, I never did, still in the trunk of my car. Um, (laughs) But it was just, it was kind of surreal looking out from that window thinking, wow, I can't believe we're not going to be back here again. And, And another kind of image that put that in perspective was Sarah Cornell's tweet when she posted that picture of the empty seats and the empty press box and her just sitting behind the rubber in the circle with no one else there. And she said, I'm just going to sit here a while. That, you know, that kind of puts into perspective just what we're all dealing with. I mean, this is, it's just a completely different life for the next, however many months that we're all going to have to deal with. And it sucks, frankly. Yeah. Well, and, and when you think about it too, you know, we're there, and the you know fans and people like that are there during the games, but that is a actual small percentage of the time that the team is actually there, actually working out, actually practicing things like that. They spend a lot more time in, in that stadium and on that field than just the games. So I mean that's the second home to them, and uh, that, that's probably another thing that hurts as much as anything. You know you you lose the camaraderie of just being around each other. Uh, as a team and then just you know being in your 
familiar familiar places. Mm-hmm. All right, let's uh, let's head home, Tom. Let's uh, right. let's head home and not talk about this past year, but talk about the future because I did want to get to this. Now, again, as we've talked about, um, life happens, things happen. This could change. I hope it doesn't. But uh, I believe it was Lexi Kilfoyle's father tweeted us when we were talking about the year being over and tweeted me and said, "Do you get a red shirt as well?" So I'm going to more or less announce, unless something comes along that I I can't pass up, my plan is for there to be a season three of this podcast and to stick around with Alabama softball next year because, I mean, come on, I can't leave. Not after this. We were were getting warmed up. We were ready. And I want to go back to Oklahoma City and be in that window filled booth where none of them open and locusts and mosquitoes and moths are flying everywhere i can't miss out on these chances so i'm i'm coming back tom sorry you're stuck with me another year <laughs> well all right i'll allow it the, uh, the, break, the breaking news here on out of the box podcast and uh yeah i i am very excited to continue what we have going and um you know it, I hope you get the the big time job that will eventually take you away, but I'll be uh, I'll be happy for you to hang around as long as you're able to. And uh, yeah, that that whole situation in Oklahoma City is going to be very interesting because we were there last last year and we were basically by ourselves up in the new press box for the radio crews. But now there's there's going to be fans on either side of us, and it's yeah. going to be. It's going to be a lot of fun. I was really looking forward to seeing that, and you know, assuming Alabama is going to get there. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be awesome uh, to get back uh, to some normalcy and to get another season in. Uh, hopefully, next season. Yeah, two things about that. One on the Seven Innings podcast, our dear friends at the Seven Innings podcast, um, Mega Ronowitz mentioned that she went on a walking tour of USA Softball Hall of Fame Stadium. And it was basically done, or at least, you know, pretty close. And she said it was phenomenal looking. And unfortunately, we don't get to see that. But imagine what it's going to be like next year with all these fans who love this sport and have loved following it and love the growth that has happened the last, you know, however many years. That place is going to be packed for every stinking game at the Women's College World Series in 2021. It's gonna be it's gonna be amazing, and uh, the the only hope is that someone beats Oklahoma before they get there. <laughs> oh gosh! I, I when I say packed, I did not mean with Sooners. I, right. I I hope not. And the other thing, now that we know there's going to be a season three of the podcast, Tom, we are going to pull zero punches. We are going full bore. Everybody, like, if you are, like, closely related to the softball media, you're going to be on. I mean, we are going to go hard. We're going to travel. We're going to do major off the walls. We're going to do everything in season three because who knows what the season will look like, but we're going to talk about it. Yes, I'm going to be interested to see how off the wall evolves um, (laughs) after what has happened this season if, People kind of take more of a, uh, a toned down tone, and maybe off the wall isn't as necessary as it's been being. Or I can see going the absolute opposite way because you're going to have a lot of people that maybe haven't been, uh, been maybe casual to peripheral softball fans that really get hardcore into it because they're just so excited for any type of sport to be going on, and uh, and then to say some ridiculous things and 
we'll be ready either way. Yeah. So that's that's the future talk. You know, we're going to do this podcast next year. You know, we had actually a plan in place for someone to take over for me, but with all this happening, that person may no longer be available. So yeah, hopefully, hopefully they're uh, playing softball next year. Yeah, that's that's the plan. We won't tell you who it is, he or she. But I guess if she's playing softball, then she she knows who she is. Let that cat out of the bag. Yes, uh, <laughs> the gender is revealed. Um, <laughs> All right, let's get to some of the other things as we round down the season two finale. SEC picks. Last year, I didn't have the results. This year, we didn't have a full body work. Little did I know how much I would pay for picking Kentucky to sweep Texas A&M. So, Tom, congratulations on your 4-2 to two victory and really closed out with that Kentucky pick and also your pick of Florida sweeping Auburn. Congratulations. Well, thank you very much. I'm always excited when uh... – when Auburn being swept gives me a championship of some sort. Yes. Well, uh, even, if, even if it's trun- truncated, I'll take it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's, it, it, that's another thing that's so disappointing because it was going to be such a difficult thing all season long to predict and prognosticate how things were going to go, and we don't get to see that. How about not just all season long? The weekend, everything was canceled. We had LSU at South Carolina, Kentucky at Mississippi State, Tennessee at A&M that Brian Rice was talking about, Georgia, Arkansas. I don't know how the heck those are going to go, but I was excited to see it. Yeah, and, and not to mention the T-Town showdown. Oh, yes. Uh, Miranda Elish back in, back in Tuscaloosa. Uh, Man. All right, let's, uh, let's get to the all-name team. So I'm going to read all the lists. Again, you know, smaller season, smaller list of all-name teams. And frankly, you know, we played a lot of really good teams with names we recognized that honestly weren't that weird. So we kind of just had to roll with uh, some of the ones we've got. But then we'll pick our top two after we go through the list. Silent Rain Espinosa, Washington. Desiree Maldonado, South Florida. Celine Funky, Louisville. Chardonnay Harris, Louisville. Charlize Palacios, Arizona, Autumn Storms, Arkansas, and Braxton Burnside, Arkansas. So, Tom, I, I know we know who's going to be number one. I'll, I'll give you the pick. Who is number two? Who gets the silver medal in the all-name team? I think you got to get funky with it. I agree. <laughs> I can't believe I'm picking someone over Chardonnay Harris, but we're going with Celine Funky. Yeah, someone else, else on her same team. Yeah. It's dumb. I was so excited for Chardonnay for years, and then she doesn't even place. Oh, ouch. Because Autumn Storms, honestly, would probably pass her if we did a third. First place, Tom, who is it? Uh, I think we had this peg for a while. Silent Rain Espinosa. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations to Silent Rain. You join past champions such as Chardonnay Sissy Pantastico out of Hawaii, and Precious Bird Song out of Middle Tennessee. Congratulations, Silent Rain. It's a, uh, it's a prestigious group. It is, yes. We, we will send you your you know, toilet paper and Purell very soon. Those are, those are high-dollar high commodities right now. I don't think we'll be sending any of those off. <laughs> we, I've been holding one roll of toilet paper specifically to give to the all-name team winner. So, congratulations, Silent Rain. I don't know where you live, but we'll send it to Seattle and see what happens. Oh, wow. 
Uh, okay, let's um, let's do one more off the wall. Just just you know, for the heck of it. One more, anything that you've seen, Tom, since all of this happened, or maybe one final proverbial thought from this year that you want the off-the-wall commenters like, no, I'm coming back, I can't say the names yet, but any anyone, anyone comment or anything like that you want to put out there one last time? Well, the main thing, and this, I think this has been kind of my whole thought process behind some of these off-the-wall comments and the segments that we've had is that you can't watch and critique softball as though it is football. You have to understand that there are going to be peaks and valleys and during during games and weeks and months of the season uh, that does not mean, hey, we lost this game, therefore we will never win a game ever again. <laughs> and and when you when you're talking about it, realize who you're who you're talking about that you got a Hall of Fame head coach, you got a team that has been to every Super Regional round there's ever been, the first one from the SEC to win the World to win the World Series. I think if anyone has earned a benefit of the doubt in certain situations and maybe having a growth mindset like Coach Murphy talked about when we talked about him earlier on, it would be Alabama and the Alabama softball team. And it is very frustrating when the, quote, Alabama fans are the ones that feel the need to put down the team whenever things aren't going well. Mm-hmm. I like that. You know what uh, my mind keeps going back to, Tom? What's that? I keep, I keep journeying back to the commenter who for multiple weekends in a row talked about firing Murph, which we, we see that all the time, but the one that continues to bother me is the comment about the team not having heart. And I think that if this person really believes that, then they're not paying attention and we said that after the Arkansas game they showed heart in games two and three but I mean did these the social media posts Sarah Cornell Crystal Goodman tweeted after all this happened please don't tell me I have to hang my cleats up you know all these girls taking a social media saying that they miss this sport and this team and this program I don't ever want to hear ever again that any of these players don't have heart because they obviously gave a darn. They obviously cared. And the thought that they didn't bothered me at the time, but now it just looks ridiculous. And if things do go back to normal by 2021 and all these players are back, if I see this comment, I'm going to absolutely drag this person through the coals. Absolutely. Because we're learning not only at Alabama but across the country, and not just in softball, but a lot of people care about the things that they do. They have heart, and they want to be doing what they've always done. They want to do their jobs. They want to be with their friends and their teams, and they want to just go back to normal and do what they love. And the thought that people are playing these sports and actually don't care about the sports or or aren't invested 100% should be out the window forever based on the reaction that we've seen across the country, across the SEC, and across Alabama when the season was canceled. Absolutely, 100%. I mean, you, you look at what all these players have to sacrifice to be able to just be on the team at any of these D1 college softball teams. Uh, to say that they have no heart is just, it's it's ignorant. And it's just when you look at everything they have to go through, all the hours and hours and hours that they put in each and every day to do the best that they can. And you can have all, literally, you can have all the heart in the world care the most 
And that doesn't mean you're going to win. doesn't mean you win every game. But it means you go out there and you compete. And this team competes. All, everyone in, call, in NCAA D1 college softball competes every game. And uh, I think, yeah, for, to be able to look at a player and say that you know what they're thinking or that you know what they're feeling or that they don't care, things of that nature, it's just, like I said, it's just ignorant. Yeah. That's off the wall. Um, and again, we'll see how that segment changes next year. I hope, again, I hope we don't have to do it, but we will if we see anything. Yeah, like I said, I hope to not have to do this segment anymore. Mm. I, I really hope that, that's not, that it's not needed anymore, but we'll, we'll see. I don't have much faith. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's wrap this baby up, Tom. Any final thoughts from not just this podcast, but from this season of the podcast and also this year of softball? Well, uh, as I say, we appreciate everyone who's listened and supported us. Um, and the, like I echo what Coach Murphy said when at the end of his interview here this week, that uh, we just we appreciate everyone's support of the team and of the sport of softball, and it will just continue to grow. And uh, it's a it's a crazy time, it's an uncertain time, but just know. Um, eventually things are going to get back to normal and uh, we certainly hope that that means that we're going to have a 2021 season that's going to be just absolutely off the charts that's what we're going to see in a lot of sports mm-hmm. here after what has happened uh, then when everybody gets back on the, on the court or on the field and, and they can compete and play again there's going to be some just amazing things done in all the realm of sports and uh, definitely going to see that in softball next season yeah, and you know, to kind of wrap up my thoughts on it, um, thank you to everybody who tuned in. Uh, thank you to everybody who cares uh, and who you know interacts with us, not only on at out of the box underscore pod, but on our personal twitters. And thank you to all the guests that we had. We didn't get to everybody, unfortunately, but the ones that we had were brilliant. We had probably the most all star slate we've ever had, and hopefully that continues. And I think you're right. I think that. These players know, these coaches know, we know now. I know I'm going to value every freaking second we have in the booth together or when I'm on TV with Sydney Littlejohn Watkins or Rachel Bobo Calhoun, every second I'm going to value more and more. I'm not going to be thinking, well, it's 9 nothing or it's 7 nothing in the 6th. You know, hopefully somebody can run no, not anymore. I, I want I want this to keep going forever. I I don't want these moments to end and that's kind of been the wake up call for me that Things that you love can be taken away really quickly. And um, I'm glad that we were able to do as much as we did this year because it was so much fun, and I can't wait to do it again next year. Yeah, that's one of the things that I had thought about, too, is that it's amazing how often, you know, we get to the point of complaining about, oh, we got another game tomorrow or we got to, you know, we got to go on the road here this weekend. And what I wouldn't give to be able to do that right now. Oh so, yeah, so like I think I said that's... on the last podcast, I would – I would absolutely drive off a bridge if it meant a chance to share one microphone Oscars shallow style with you at Troy again. <laughs> I'd rather not have to do that, but I understand that. <laughs> uh, all right, let's, uh, let's close this thing out. Tom, where can people find you on the Twitter? You can uh, follow me at T Canterbury, R-T-R, C-A-N-T-E-R-B-U-R-Y, R-T-R, um, on the Twitter, and... Uh, Again, I, I have no uh, no patience for any type of uh, arguments or anything of that nature right now. Hopefully, we'll get to a, a point where we can do that again. But right now, everyone, social media can be a very um, toxic 
area at this moment uh, full of misinformation, full of uh, people just out there trying to start arguments and things of that nature. Just if you're on social media, it's time to be positive, time to be unifying. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully you can do that. And if, you're, and if you're in that same nature, follow me at T. Canterbury RTR. Couldn't agree more, partner. I'm at Gray, G-R-A-Y underscore Robertson. Follow the show at Out of the Box underscore pod. And follow all those accounts in particular because you can get a farcical T-shirt, as we talked about early on. There is an order form while supplies last because I did not just blow out and buy a 1,000 shirts. There are like 30. So order one while you can. And if you do, you know what? We'll throw in a free koozie. Why not? Let's do it. We'll give you a I know. I haven't even been able to get you one. I'm not. Yeah. And to be fair, if you are ordering one, you know, recognize I can't exactly go to the post office right now for a variety of reasons. So be patient. Well, uh, that that wraps up season two. Thanks to Jen Schroeder, Patrick Murphy, and Brian Rice for joining us. Obviously, we never imagined this year ending so soon and in such a manner, but we're thankful for the memories that we had in the studio and on the road in 2020. Hopefully, once things calm down, we can put some content out there into the world, maybe later this spring, maybe this summer. If you have any ideas you know, for special podcasts, I've had fun doing this, even though we're on the phone, Tom. So maybe if any yeah. listeners out there want to throw some ideas out for future podcasts over the next couple months, we'll gladly do it. Yeah, certainly looking at it. I know it's one of the things we talked about, maybe doing uh, greatest hits from, you know, I, I can get you some audio from any of the last six seasons when I've been the voice or Ooh. things of that nature. So we might be able to do something like that. Wait, are you telling me I can finally hear your home runion call? Oh, yes, you can. Oh, my goodness. Okay, we're doing that. That's, that's decided. <laughs> so now, all right, we've decided that. People send in your submissions for right. Alabama softball greatest hits, ideally in the last six years, but basically anything you've got. I'm sure we know people with archives of this that we can pull out and put together. So, yeah, so I, I think that may be something we can do just put out some uh, things to keep everybody engaged and what the appetite is. Like I said, this this thing will eventually, we'll get back to normal and we'll get everybody ready. Yeah. Other than that, we are planning on a season three with Tom and me back on the air together, not only in the studio, but on the air on the Crimson Tide Sports Network next spring. Hopefully we can do a fall ball episode in the months prior to the 2021 season, but obviously we'll be playing that by ear. We don't know what the world will look like in a few months, but we're certainly hopeful for the future. As always, thank you to everybody who's been tuning in from the start, not just this year, but last season as well. It's been a total blast. And Tom, we love our jobs and we love this podcast. 100%. Looking forward to keeping it rolling. Absolutely. That wraps things up for season two. For my partner, Tom Canterbury, I'm Gray Robertson. Stay safe out there. Stay inside. Wash your hands. We're going to get through this together, everyone. And we'll see you next time on Out of the Box.